everyone, and welcome to On Location. This is your host, Jared Cowan. And, uh, you know, now that I write and podcast about filming locations and I give tours of locations, people often ask me if I have a film background. Uh, and I do indeed have a little bit of a film background. I don't think I ever really talk about it on the show. Uh, over time, I've kind of gotten away from working as a freelance camera person, having done mostly documentary work. And before moving out to LA, I worked in New York on a couple of productions uh, where I also interned for an infamous producer there who I'm not going to name at the moment, but I did some work there. But prior to working in New York and LA, I, I did attend film school. I went to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Now, it being an art school, the department was really geared more towards experimental filmmaking and maybe a little bit of documentary. Uh, It was really about studying the image more than telling a story. Now, if you're familiar with like, you know, the films of uh, Stan Brakhage or something like that, that maybe gives you an idea of what my film department was like when I when I went to school. And while there's certainly a great deal to learn from those films, you know, we were all 80s kids in my class. You know, we grew up in the age of the blockbuster. We wanted to make narrative movies. You know, we didn't want to make films where we're just scratching the film and all that stuff. And that, you know, like I said, there's value to it, but that's not what we were there for necessarily. But uh, one day, our professor told us we were going to one of the local art houses to see a film. It was a nice little field trip. And that movie was Christopher Nolan's feature debut, Memento. And upon watching it, it was clear why our teacher wanted us to see it. It really was a completely unique, almost experimental way of making a narrative film in that the entirety of the film is nonlinear, but the multiple timelines, one that's being told in a forward progression and the other in a backwards action, are in themselves linear. So that is great about the film. And I think, like I said, that's why our teacher wanted us to go and focus in on it. Now, Memento focuses on an insurance investigator from San Francisco, Leonard Shelby, who's played by Guy Pierce, and he sustains an injury while attempting to stop a couple of intruders from murdering his wife in their home bathroom. Leonard goes on the hunt for the killers, but the injury leaves him vulnerable in that he is unable to retain any short-term memories, so he can't make any new memories. He takes Polaroids, he writes notes, and he gets tattoos to remind himself of what he needs to do and who he can trust or not trust. And throughout the film, Leonard references the story of Sammy Jenkins, who is a semi-retired accountant who, after a car accident, develops the same condition that Leonard would later suffer from. And what struck me, actually, upon re-watching the film recently, is that the actor who plays Sammy Jenkins, Stephen Tobolowsky, who is one of the most recognizable character actors around. Uh, He also played Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day, who also doesn't remember anything uh, when meeting Bill Murray day after day after day uh, because the the day is on constant replay. Uh, Today, we are actually at the home of Sammy Jenkins, which is in Altadena, which is in an unincorporated area of L.A. County, just north of Pasadena. And while it's not a location that we see a whole lot of necessarily in the film, it's a central location that Leonard keeps coming back to physically and psychologically. I'm happy to be joined by a couple of wonderful guests today. Uh, I'd first like to welcome the homeowner of the location, Terry Andrews. Thanks for letting us be here today, Terry. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. (laughs) And uh, I'm also happy to have the location manager of Memento here with us today, who actually lives 
just across the street. And we're going to talk about how all this worked. Russ Figa, thanks for being here today, Russ. You bet. It was a big <laughs> it was a big stretch to come across the street. <laughs> I know you were waiting outside on the porch and everything when I got pulled up. <laughs> just reading the mail. <laughs> yeah, no, that's wonderful. I don't know that I've done an episode before where somebody just walked across the street to the location. So this is wonderful. Thank well, that's, you. that's kind of how I set up the film so I don't have to go very far. <laughs> Before we get into Memento Russ, I want to ask you about one of your very first location credits. At least that is on IMDb. So you worked as a location scout on one of my favorite movies ever, and that is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So I believe Bill and Ted shot in the Phoenix area, right? Correct. So how did you work on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Well, um, I used to live in Phoenix, so a good friend of mine, Rick Rothen, who was the location manager at the time, uh, he worked here and in Phoenix and kind of went back and forth. And he was working on Bill and Ted's. And he said, look, I'm having a hard time finding this house. Could you fly out and drive around to some neighborhoods and see what you can find? I said, oh, of course, you know, because I know Phoenix really well. So I just flew over, jumped in the car, started driving some neighborhoods that seemed right. And, you know, I don't really recall how quickly it happened, but it was pretty fast that we found the house. And I don't know, it was either Bill or Ted's. It's been years. So your main, uh, your main task was finding one of the houses. That's, that's, that's all. Yeah, I was called in for the house. I never did any other scouting. I was the house man. Do you have any favorite films in terms of how locations are used? Not necessarily the ones you've worked on, but maybe, mm. but are there any great location films in your point of view? Okay, like you take Los Angeles as a location, it gets used a lot, of course, but I love the way La La Land embraced LA and really just kind of showed it in a, a real different way. And yeah, and I thought just the idea of all those locations that were put together so skillfully by Robert Folks. Yeah, um, yeah it was a terrific film and I, I enjoyed it. So, but you started out acting, right? Even, I mean, before you got that call to do Bill and Ted, you, oh, were, yeah. you were acting. So why was, go to, why was the acting kind of the go-to? And then, of course, how did you then make that transition into doing locations? Um, well, I came out here to act, and that's something I'd always been doing as a kid. I mean, I started doing theater as a little kid, doing, like, in first grade, I was a cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz, you know? <laughs> so it just went from there, and I really loved it. I came out here one year, 1978, to really go for it. But I wasn't in Screen Actors Guild, and it was a tough year. I went back to Phoenix and regrouped, and then came back here in 85 to devote myself to acting. And, you know, I had some success. I mean, my first gig was on Murder, She Wrote, which was really a fun little piece. Because I'll tell you, funny, the, the story is it was about a pizza delivery guy. So they were looking for a pizza delivery guy. So I put my picture and resume in a pizza box, and I delivered it to the casting director. <laughs> So there's a, um, you got a pizza here from, you know, whoever the guy was. And uh, that's how I got the audition. Oh, that's great. And he told that story to all these casting workshops. He kept telling them how you got to do something to stand out. That's amazing. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I, I it's funny that you mentioned Murder, She Wrote, because, you know, I, I, as you know, I just came over here from doing a tour at the Huntington Hotel, which was used in a couple episodes of Murder, <laughs> She Wrote. And I always tell people on the tour about how, you know, even though, of course, she lives in New England, you know, that all of it was shot in L.A., and that the little village of Cabot Cove is basically around Jaws Lake at Universal. Right. And that when I'm watching those episodes uh, where she's walking around the shops, all I can think about is the mechanical shark that's like right in the water <laughs> next to Angela Lansbury there. Right. You know, So that's amazing, though. Um, oh, she was lovely, too.
too. That was a really nice experience. Let me ask you about Phoenix. Sure. Like, I mean, does Phoenix have any kind of film community, or did it then? Does it now? Was there ever uh, an average amount of filming there? Or is it not really a place that people shot too much? Well, I don't think it was used particularly often um, for films or television because, you know, that's based out here or wherever back east. Um, but they did have a nice commercial, you know, a thriving commercial industry there. And I did commercials when I was there, uh, had an agent and everything. So, yeah, they had a bit of a setup, but it was certainly pretty amateur. What projects had you worked on as a location professional, location manager Prior to Memento, had you done some jobs already? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I started out um, working uh, as a non-union location manager because it wasn't anything I was... Actually, wasn't intending to become a location manager. This was just something to do while I was trying to act. So that wasn't my focus, but um, I got more and more work, and I did, you know, some um, small features and TV. Well, actually, the very first thing I got hired on as for a union job was a wonderful... Well, it, the script was wonderful. Uh, a movie that was, I think it was ended up being called Twilight with Paul Newman, Susan Sarandon, yeah. James Garner. I mean, just amazing cast. And I was hired on as a scout. And that was just a great way to break in. I mean, it was a big movie. Robert Benton was director. Scott Rudin I had to meet, who was the producer. And so, uh, you know, it was a great introduction to the, to the world of location managing. And then um, after I did that, I started doing features on my own, but small projects, you know. Are there any skill sets as an actor that you can bring to location managing? Like, I'm wondering, is there any kind of crossover, even though the jobs are completely, completely different? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if you can pretend to be nice, that's good. <laughs> when I, you know, when, I, when it's funny, when I asked you that, I thought that's where it was going to... As the words were coming out of my mouth, I had a feeling that's where it might go. No, but you know? honestly, it's it really is a question of being able to converse with people and strike up a conversation, even if this person's from wherever and, you know, doesn't know anything about filming. You just try to be a good person, tell them, and bring them onto your side. How did you then get the job on Memento? Oh, the job as the location As manager. the location manager. Right. Well, we'll the, talk about your other job on Memento. That's but, all right. But. <laughs> no, the, uh, I had worked with a producer named Elaine Dysinger, and I had done, I think, two other films with her that were small movies, The Brothers, um, and gosh, I can't remember the other, sorry. Um, but Elaine said, hey, I got this thing going on. There's this new director who's pretty cool apparently and um you know it's not a big budget movie seven million but i think you can help us bring it in at the right cost because the movies i'd been doing with her were not big uh so she asked me i said oh, of course that'd be fun i mean then i read the script which was pretty amazing <laughs> on the page could you wrap your head around what was actually going on well not the first time when i first read it I, you know, you kind of read the script. For me, I read it and I'm noting the locations as I go to try to keep track of, oh, where, okay. But, you know, because of the fact it was nonlinear and it kept going back and forth, I was like, actually, my first thought was, this is fantastic. There aren't that many locations. <laughs> we just go back to the same ones a few times. So, I mean, that really helped in terms yeah. of putting that together. But, um, you know, it took a few reads to, to start getting the flow of where we were going with it. But, you know, I was captivated with it right away. On one of the DVD special features, uh, Christopher Nolan says the film was shot in like 25 and a half days. You know, you said $7 million. It's a right. low-budget movie. So, I mean, how much money do you have to spend on locations? I mean, and, th and did that affect your 
choices? Well, you know, back then, um, I didn't really think in big money terms. Like, I didn't go into the project thinking, I got money to spend. We're going to go to all these big locations. The the locations were not the kind that were opulent things or, you know, uh, extraordinary wealth or anything high end. So that made the cost a lot easier to deal with. But the first thing when I, I just remember finding the house where um, Carrie Ann Moss, Moss, where yeah. she lives. And that was a little place in Burbank, this funky, because I wanted to find something where I figured we could get a good price and yet fulfill the vision of kind of a, you know, an interesting but bizarre little house. And man, I was really lucky. I just found this place in Burbank, knocked on the door, and I made some insane deal, like for just very little money. But I wasn't trying to be cheap. It's just what I had. And these people were thrilled. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, then people will do this for this amount or, you know, if they're interested. And then, like I said, the other locations didn't require a lot of money. Um, And and, um, honestly, you know, I don't recall the budget at this point. But the thing I do remember about the budget is that we had done so well that there was some money left over. And that really upset Chris because he was like, I want every penny on the screen. And man, I, I learned a lot from that. It was like, you know, I hear the fact that you got a budget, but, you know, I want to honor this person's vision. So that's that's where you go. You know, Memento is early in Chris's career. He'd just done the following before that, the right. short, the black and white short, yeah. um, way before he became, and this is before he became a household name. Probably Memento st- maybe started it because he did get the Oscar nomination for the screen for the screenplay for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you continued working with him uh, quite a bit after Memento, also having managed the prestige, which I love. What was it like working for him in that very early part of the career, his career versus a little bit later? Well, I mean, when he first, when we first met, um, I believe our first meeting was at Johnny's Coffee Shop and where he was living close by, I believe. So we'd actually meet there in the mornings to talk about what I should do for the day or what we, what our thoughts were, his thoughts. And, you know, the thing that was really wonderful was that since he was brand new to LA, I was able to really be a guide for him in some ways that I think helped us uh, cement a much more firm relationship besides just a location manager and a director. Because we spent a lot of time together and he was new and he was absorbing a lot. And, you know, he was a very nice guy, uh, very British, and I called him Chris. So, you know, now he's Christopher, but, you know, back then he was Chris. So it was a whole different ballgame. The beautiful thing about that movie is that everybody was kind of hungry. You know, it wasn't big. Nobody was big. So they were all wanting to do this great job for this guy that they all had a similar vision for. And it was a really nice project. So he wasn't really familiar with Los Angeles. You really had to kind of open his eyes to to the city. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I recall, um, you know, we'd just talk about places. And I mean, he just wasn't that familiar with the normal locations. And so if I'd bring up something that maybe had been used in the past, it would might not be as uh, recognizable to him. But he certainly it didn't stop him from <laughs> exploring with me. Would it just be you two in the car going places sometimes? Yeah, just uh, Chris and I. um, I think once Wally got involved, he was also part of the team driving around. Wally Pfister, who uh, was terrific DP. When it comes to the prestige, though, and you're filming London in Los Angeles, obviously he's British, so he knows, right? So is he... 
Is there an insight that he can provide to you about what certain things should look like in Los Angeles to be London? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I did a lot of work to try to discover what we were talking about, you know, and um, let's see, the uh, Nathan Crowley, who was the D, uh, the production designer, was just amazing. So I spent a lot of time with him looking at pictures of theaters in London, um, street scenes, homes. And from there, you know, it was pretty easy to try to start going out because there aren't that many places that are going to work for that. Um, we had a bunch of great theaters downtown, and it was up to Chris to really kind of focus in on which one can I transform this into to be most like a London uh, location. So, and, you know, between him and Nathan, it was it was just amazing what they did. But, you know, we... Um, one of the most interesting locations on the Prestige that I, I thought they did an amazing job was at the Pico House downtown. They created that jail there, which oh, yeah. was, it was incredible. Just blew me away. And that was a hard location because Chris was like not giving up on, he's like, nope, that's not working for me. Nope. I mean, we showed so many things. And finally, I don't remember who on my uh, crew found that. I didn't, but he just fell in love with it. On Memento, was there a particular kind of aesthetic that you were made aware of that he wanted to get out of Los Angeles? Well, I think it was evident that there was a grit. You know, it wasn't a pretty picture. It was just like, you know, kind of, I don't know. I look at it as high contrast, black and white, kind of just, that's how I felt about it. And yeah, I think the script kind of dictated that it wasn't upper echelon kind of people we were dealing with. So that totally, you know, affected where we looked and what kind of stuff stuck out to me. Nowhere in the film does it ever say Los Angeles. It's actually supposed to be in the San Francisco area, even though that's not, it, it's not ever, like, we're never hit over the head with the fact that we're supposed to be in, in San Francisco. It's mentioned, I think Guy Pierce says it once, it's on Joe Pantoliano's license that he lives in San Francisco. Was there a quality in locations you were on the lookout for that would even suggest San Francisco? Honestly, no. <laughs> yeah. I never gave San Francisco a thought because it didn't really play a part in the locations. I mean, there was nothing about a downtown or a bridge or anything that would suggest yeah. where we were. Do you think that by keeping the visual character of the movie somewhat kind of urban, generic, might even add to the disorienting nature of the movie? If you don't really have a sense of place, um, that can be disconcerting because you don't really know. There's nothing establishing where you are that gives you a, a center or ground to what's going on. Do you think that there's anything in it that feels Los Angeles, even though it's not Los Angeles? It's not Los Angeles necessarily because we were filming in the valley, like Sunland, Tahunga. And I don't think of that as Los Angeles. I think of that as kind of this not bizarre sorry folks I live in the valley it's alright no no I mean Sunland and Tahunga is kind of in a way it's a little ruralish. Yeah. so it's not it doesn't feel like you're in Los Angeles and we did so much work in there and Burbank so that this, the quality of LA was never something that I think uh, was pronounced or showed up the film was shot in late 1999 I think and then it started playing the festival circuit through 2000 came out in the U.S. in 2001. Do you think the locations and the visuals 
reflect that time in which it was made or does it feel somewhat timeless? I think it's timeless because there was nothing uh, that I was trying to go for or Chris was trying to tell me in terms of a period or anything like that. Uh, again, it's the generic nature of it. It could be anywhere, anytime. Um, and so it wasn't really a constrained kind of thing where I was trying to find something that would suggest some time. Was the Memento experience different in terms of a director, location, manager relationship than any other shows that you've worked on? Absolutely. Um, I think my being able to work so closely with Chris was a real gift. Uh, you know, the higher up you get, the bigger, bigger you are, you know, you're more insulated. So you don't speak to the director uh, necessarily directly. You go through the production designer. Um, but Chris and I spent a lot of time together, and I think that forged uh, a friendship that, you know, obviously we carried on through several films, even those I wasn't working on as a location person. How did you end up becoming kind of a go-to kind of bit player in a, a number of his I mean, how many uh, do you appear in? I don't know, uh, what, six, I'm seven? I'm actually I don't know, tied like... with Morgan Freeman at five. You're tied with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, I think wow. so. I saw somebody sent me an article the other day about that, which was pretty funny. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, I mean, like I said, I came out here to act, and when I read the script, I always look for roles that I might ask that I can audition for. I'm not bashful about that. If you are, you shouldn't be an actor. Um, but anyway, I read one thing of the waiter I thought oh yeah it's a nice little day player thing I, so I said hey Chris could I uh, audition for this and he said well I mean you can read for it along with everybody else that's reading for it so it wasn't like sure buddy here you go um, so I read for it and I got the part and it was just fantastic as he started making his other movies and how did you then get the call to do what was the next one the press well, well, you, you managed it but then you also appeared in it right well that was funny because um I remember sitting at a production meeting right in the beginning of uh, The Prestige. We were all talking about looks and, you know, the stuff you go over. And he mentioned, you know, the characters in this movie have to look like from back then, big beards and just, you know, the whole look. And at that very moment, I said, man, I'm going to grow a beard and I'm going to get a role in this thing. (laughs) And sure enough, man, I just started growing that beard out. And finally, when it was nice and full, I said, hey, Chris, I'm ready. Come on. What do you think? And so he said, oh, okay. And so uh, on that one, I also had to audition for one of uh, Edison's henchmen, and I got that role, and that was really fun because I I was in that for a couple weeks in different scenes, so that was a big, big deal. You know, you're devoting that much time to being on screen on a movie that you're also location managing, so how... Does, does that affect your job anyway as a, I mean, as a location manager? Obviously, you have a team of people, yeah, but I'm yeah. wondering if it interferes in any way. Um, you know, it didn't interfere. Um, like you said, I had a great crew that uh, they knew I'd be working on these days, so they just kind of did their thing a little with a little extra percentage. But honestly, the location manager, you know, once you've done all your work, you're not necessarily tied to being on the set. Although for the memento I was, because it was just me and one guy. Uh, so that was a big difference. Um, but, you know, it's funny because the crew will kind of goof with you a little bit if you're in the movie. And, you know, they don't take you quite as seriously as an actor, even though you do. <laughs> In Memento, you mentioned you play the waiter right, uh, right. in the restaurant where Guy Pierce meets with uh, Carrie Moss there. And uh, he comes back from the bathroom. <laughs> you give him the motel key and he's asking about direct where the motel is. Right, and right. you tell him where it is. It's on this street and this street. Um, did you ever think about the fact that you give Guy Pierce directions to the discount inn and 
as a location manager, you give directions to people. <laughs> did that ever? <laughs> did that ever? Did that ever? Uh, uh, did that ever cross your mind? No, man. I was too busy being a waiter. Okay. Yeah. I was okay. totally into serving coffee. <laughs> Please, I'm a, I'm a method actor. <laughs> You had a you had a scene with Sean Penn one time. Oh, like and that I too. am Sam. That was another yeah. one I managed. Yeah, you, and you were the cranky uh, coffee customer. Oh, that, that was, was pretty good. What other what are what are some of the other Nolan roles that you did? Um, well, Inception, I got a, to do a really fun scene as a cab driver who gets rear-ended by Leonardo DiCaprio because he wants to steal the cab, unbeknownst to me. Um, and then I uh, was in Dark Knight Rises, where I was a stockbroker who, uh, I, as I recall, I order a sandwich and the delivery guy gives me the wrong thing and I give him some grief and he knocks me over the head with a gun which starts the melee in the stock exchange somehow i'm always getting beat up or something <laughs> i mean after the prestige where you grew your you know you grew the beard and you were like hey look at this i mean some of those later roles that you got with him was it chris who would like request you to i mean and you're not location managing so it's not like you're there every day you know so was it chris who would actually request you to to do these roles? Yeah. I mean, he'd call... What happened was that, um, let's see, once I did Inception, I mean, once I did uh, The Prestige, then the next one, Dark Knight Rises, I got a call from John Papsidera's office. He was the casting director. And he said, hey, Chris would like you to do this role. And I was like, oh, well, let me check my calendar. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool to get called by the casting director, not to have to come in and read. And, you know, and then uh, Jordan Goldberg, who is one of uh, Chris's producers told me later that Chris likes having you because he feels like you're a good luck charm. So Wow. But I don't know. The last two movies I haven't been on and I don't know how lucky he's been. <laughs> oh man. Well that that's really nice though. I mean that's no, it was that's terrific. amazing. That's amazing. At what point and why did you take a step away from working as a location manager and start your own location service mm-hmm. company? Well um, you know, as a location manager, you are required to do a lot of, wear a lot of different hats, juggle a lot of things, and it's a really difficult job. You can only go so far in that world, and then, you know, you've reached the top, and I had bigger aspirations for myself, um, and frankly, it was not bringing me much joy anymore. The joy for me was finding uh, just a fantastic place to film and having someone say, wow, that's great. That's perfect. You know, that's, and so that was where I found the love of it. But once you started filming, it becomes a whole different job where you're organizing, you know, parking and permitting and extras holding all this stuff that has nothing to do with why I wanted to work on it. Um, And in fact, I remember telling Chris this at one time and he said, well, Russ, why don't you just create a job where you just do the scouting and work with the director? And then once it starts up, you hand that part off to someone else. And, you know, I would love to do that, but that's just not the way the industry does it. Um, there's a location manager, you know. Um, and then I thought about just scouting, but um, I wanted more of a career for myself. Like I was looking for the bigger picture. So I started my own business. Um, like I said, uh, being a location manager, I'd used a lot of location services in the past, which are great, but I always felt that there was a way to do it better. And I set out to do that. And I, 
you know, pretty happy. I think I've succeeded. We're at your neighbor's house that was used in Memento or at yes. Terry's house here. Uh, did the experience of using your neighbor's houses, because you use this house and then you use the house next door. Correct. Um, for the interior of Guy Pierce's house, like the bathroom, right. you said over there. Um, did using your neighbor's houses in, later inform how you operate your business? Well, my original intent was to be you know, locate my uh, homes within the area that I could really go to without issue. You know, I didn't want to have to drive too far and take too much time to get places. So, yeah, I mean, I wanted to start off with places in my neighborhood. And obviously, it's easier to go to someone you know than to a total stranger who's never heard of what you're doing. Uh, and Terry, you know, is a friend and also a neighbor and had such a beautiful house. And I thought, oh, I got I to gotta show this to Chris. It might be really good. Um, but you know, I just, uh, like I say, when you start, you need to have people that are on board with you that, that you know and trust. So that's how that started. Terry, uh, what were maybe your first thoughts? I mean, I, again, I, I realize it's 20 years ago that the movie, you know, was made and came out. What were your first thoughts when, you know, your neighbor, Russ, from across the street came to you about potentially using your house for memento? Well, we knew what Russ did. You know, we we knew pretty well by that point, and it was you know, we were flattered. That was the first thing you think about: is Gosh, this is nice. Somebody wants to use our house, and uh, it worked out pretty good. You're right about the details being a little hazy about the process itself of the movie being filmed here, because as I recall, we were at a hotel down in Pasadena, me and my wife and our dogs and my young son, you know, like what could go wrong with that? <laughs> we were down there for several days, you know, chewing through the furniture after a while. We finally got back here, and by then, most of the stuff had already been done. And the thing about Memento to me wasn't the experience about having it filmed at our house, because I saw very little of that, but it was realizing what an interesting movie this was going to be when it came out, because it took a long time for it to hit to the screens. And so I started seeing, you know, little t- trailers and teasers at the movies when I was down. We all go to the uh, Limley Theater down there in Pasadena, which is a local art house. We kept seeing Memento, and it, get, it grew and grew, these little trailers getting bigger and bigger and revealing more and more. You know, this sounds like a really good movie, but they're not showing it yet. It took a long time for it to get to the screen, and when it came, it really paid off. And just a remark, too, about something you said earlier about the skill set that's required to be a good location uh, manager. And Russ, as it all, when it comes to the homeowner, too, because a lot of the films up here, all of them, are filmed in somebody's home. And the homeowner wants to make sure that the furniture is still there and that things don't get nicked. And there's a certain amount of anxiety that creeps into your life when this is going on. And him and his wife, Chris, do a really good job of making sure that things get taken care of. If there's a scratch on the floor, boom, gets done. So there's really a lot more diplomacy and effort that goes into location scouting and management than you would think. This is somebody's world you're entering. You know, this is their precious kingdom. And, you know, you have to be respectful and um, and just honest. You know, the thing I learned early on in locations was don't undersell don't tell them, oh, it's not going to be that, because it is going to be that big. It, there are going to be a lot of people. It's not a little deal. Yeah. So, you know, the more honest you are with people and bring their expectations up to what's going to happen, the better off you're going to be. So I think that's always been key in trying to talk to people. Um, you know, the, the situation here in Memento, uh, working on our street was pretty unique because uh, obviously I knew Terry and I knew, I think it was Mary Beth and Dave that right. still lived yep. there next door. And I remember... <laughs> 
on the day we were shooting, uh, somehow there was like, we couldn't find power to get to something. And I live right across the street. So I ran an extension cord through the front screen of my door, <laughs> my front door, the side panel, and just ran an extension cord all the way out for craft service. You know, that was the kind of thing it was like, all right, everybody's going to pitch in here. And these are also including your homes. I mean, these are historic homes. I mean, this is, you know, early 20th century, you know, your house. Right. Uh, so, you know, I have to imagine there's even a, a little bit of an extra uh, level of anxiety, maybe uh, just knowing what the property is. Had your home... So this was the first memento, the first time your home was used in a, any kind of on-screen... Yeah, to memento. my knowledge, yeah. At least with us. With yeah. you, with yeah. you. Um, has it been used since, yes. memento? Yes, yeah. What has it been used for? There were some commercials that were done. Russ brought all this work to us. Um, and there was a, an episode of The Ghost Whisperer with Jennifer Love Hewitt, who my son, you know, a young teenager, was in love with. <laughs> so it was great that she was, you know, bouncing around our house and everything. He was over here all the time. They had like a food truck out in front. And we, my, my wife Mary and I were gone, and he was here all the time with all of his <laughs> friends from, from like junior high. And they're just oogling, you know. It's Jennifer Love here. I don't know if she could stand it. But uh, that was a I good story I think she's used there. to it. Probably, yeah. When was your house built? And is there anything significant about the builder or the person who the home was built for? Yes, uh, it was built. We knew it was built by a guy named Carl Erickson. And a few years ago, uh, we, our house was included on a home tour of the street, Highland Avenue here in Altadena. And uh, there was a person that came and filled in the blanks about all of the houses on the tour in terms of their historical provenance and you know who'd lived there and how it got built and so on. So it turned out that this guy, Carl Friedrich Erickson, was a Swedish immigrant and a carpenter. He wasn't really an architect, and he built several houses on the street, one of which he lived in. And so this one was built in 1919, and it's just solid. You know, I mean, it's amazing how well, you know, basically how well built they are and the materials they use and so on. So we do our best to keep it up because being an old bungalow with external shingling and all this stuff, you have to stay after. It's like it's like the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> when, you, when you're done painting it, you have to start painting it again basically right and uh so if your heart's into it it's great one other thing i'll say about the, the, uh, living in a home like this is that it's been visited several times since we opened it for about 25 or 26 years by families who used to live here and one of the greatest stories was an original family right after we bought it you might remember this russ a whole caravan of cars pulls up and all these people come spilling out and they come up to me and i'm ro- i'm mowing the yard in the front they go, yeah, hi, can I help you? And they go, yeah, we used to live here. And these people are in their 80s, at least. And I go, wow. I go, And they go, would you mind if we took a look at it? I said, no, not at all. It turned out they lived in New Mexico, and they just finished burying their mom at the Mountain View Cemetery, which is over here in Altadena. And the patriarch of this group, the older guy, who was obviously the leader, a dad or whatever, was walking down our stairs. And he said, you know, the last time I came down these stairs was on Pearl Harbor Day, the original Pearl wow. Harbor Day, because I'd gotten my call and I was going back into active duty. So, that, and he walked up the stairs and he walked down the stairs and go, oh my gosh, it gave me chills yeah. just to think wow. about it. So you realize on an older house like this that you're really a caretaker, you're a placeholder for this sort of thing, mm. and you want to leave it in good shape for the next people that have it. Who lived here when these houses were being built? The street was built, you know, kind of a patchwork style. You could tell by the, the types of houses that are here. There's Tudor, there's craftsman style like this, there's more modern you know, looking ones, there's Spanish, there's Monterey. It's amazing. This street in itself could be the back lot at Universal or something. <laughs> but um, 
Well, the, if you look at the, the history for this one, the written history, you see that it was ordered by a family that wanted to move in here at, to Carl Erickson to build. He built it. Most of the work that was done on it was uh, oriented toward, toward the front of the house. Interesting. We got a sort of forensic accounting architecturally about this because when we moved in, it was flat across the back. There was no personality at all at the rear of the house. Mm-hmm. The stuff you see here is added on. But the front was embellished with a wraparound porch and everything else. It was meant for people who spent time on the front porch looking out on the street. And there were luminaries apparently that lived here. And in fact, one, uh, here, this is hearsay, but I think it's pretty reliable, a county official who lived here who managed to get sidewalks put in on our street only. So if you go one block to the west or one block to the east, there aren't any sidewalks. <laughs> I was and, wondering how that happened. Yeah, that happened because it was a special <laughs> order by the, whoever this guy was. I understand from Russ that you're also something of a film aficionado. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Did you study film? I did in, in college, yeah. I had a communications major, and filmmaking was one of the things that we pursued. When they came to shoot this movie, Memento here, I know you were at a hotel, but did you have any idea how significant this movie would be in terms of launching this major filmmaker? The thing that struck me was that You know, the grammar of film had long been established by the 20s and 30s and 40s. You know, you had a a shot where you shot over the person's shoulder the right way and you'd have two people talking and there's a way to handle all that stuff. And everything was in a forward linear motion so that you could unfurl the story that way. But it really struck me on the construction of this movie that there was new grammar being formed for the way a movie could be made and presented. And that had to do with the fact that he'd take a step back in time and, you know, go forward, back and forward. We've talked about the, the way it was handled that way. And a couple of great examples of that were when Carrie Ann Moss, that's her name, right? Yeah. The actress. Uh, and when, she first meets Guy Pierce Leonard at the bar, and uh, you know, there's this conversation, and the drunk or the guy, the guy that's perched on the seat at the end laughs. He chuckles a little bit, right? And only later do you find out that he's the one that spits in the beer. <laughs> right. And, yeah, right. And then Guy he takes a big slurp of this thing, yeah. you know? Uh, you know, like back right. in the day when in a John Ford movie, let's say, if you were going to play a joke on Walter Brennan, you know, let's say, the mo- the audience could see it coming. It would be set up and we'll go all the way. Well, here's a joke where the punchline was first and the joke was second. It was just uh, a little thing, but things like that really worked for me. Are there any films that memento reminded you of are there any, is there anything before it that had any sense of where memento was not in terms of the uh the way it flowed back to front like that um stylistically i thought it had a lot of the 1970s look when people like Sidney lamette and, and others were filming in these great locations and a lot of them were filming these sort of hard hard scrabble blue collar movies that had a simple story unfolding and the look of the movie to that had that you were talking about that earlier russ um you know these were obviously blue collar residences where people lived and you know it was it gave that movie the grit that you were talking about including the hotel and the hotel where he lived is what i never heard this thing about san francisco it got right by me that's what you know grounded me firmly in los angeles when Mm -hmm. i saw where he was living that 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 motel (laughs) So to answer your question, Jared, no, there's not a movie that was quite like it to me, but that feel reminded me of the 70s. What is it about that motel that says Los Angeles to you? Well, first of all, it was, 
it looked like it was in Inglewood or somewhere. I don't yeah, know. It, yeah. Was it? No, it was in Tahunga. Tahunga, okay. Sunland. Yeah. And, you know, it was always sunny. You know, you never <laughs> worried about the fog rolling in on that particular location. <laughs> Just little things that subliminally hit you. You know, I've been in Los Angeles all my life and go, well, LA. I mean, it's got the same light and everything else. And then to hear this for the first time was really eye-opening. As a fan of film, as well as, as, well as somebody who's studied it, have you ever been inspired to visit a favorite filming location? Yeah, I have, and uh, but not in a real formal way. I'd read about something, and I can't even think of a real good example of stuff that would happen to me later in life, but it started my love of going to places like that when I was a little kid, and my family went up to Bodega Bay, which is where the birds were filmed, was filmed. <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, <laughs> birds was filmed. Or the birds were Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and we, it was right after the movie had been made in the, in the late 60s, mid-60s. And uh, you, the stuff was still there. You know, the church or the, well, the church and also the schoolhouse where the kids came running yep. out and they all got pecked and everything. It was like right there. I mean, it was yeah. still probably bird droppings around from this whole thing. And so it was fun to see that that fresh. Later on, I'd seen it since then. It's been sort of commercialized now. But a long way to answer your question. But yes, I love, when I know I'm at a movie location, I really spend my time and try to sniff the, the roses. You know what I mean? So we are at the house of Sammy Jenkins, right? As we talked about, Stephen Tobolowsky character, um, you know, a lot of the, mostly in the, like the living room here, uh, sitting there with Guy Pierce and then his wife. And we see the scene where she keeps saying to him, it's time for my medicine and to see if he can remember that he just gave her her insulin and he keeps giving it to her and giving it to her. And she eventually dies on the couch um, in there. Um, so you live across the street. Where did, Russ, where did this idea come up to see if your neighbors would be interested in letting their houses be in <laughs> the movie you were working on? Well, you're asking me to go back in my mind 20 years, which is pretty tough since I don't remember what I had for breakfast. But, uh, um, you know, I, I don't recall specifically what the germ in my head was other than I know that I had, you know, I'd been in Terry's house and it was nice because I remember the idea of opening the front door and coming right into an open space as opposed to, you know, when you open a door, sometimes you're seeing an entrance wall, you turn left to get into the living room. This was all right there, which made it really, there was just something nice about that whole openness. And um, Patty Podesta, the production designer, really gravitated towards it and so did Chris. So, uh, I, I just remember they liked it, and we said, okay, let's do it. Is that your recollection? That it well, no, I mean, Russ had kind of filled us in on the details and stuff, but I never got a chance to meet Christopher Nolan. I really would have loved to, especially in hindsight, because yeah. at the time, he was an unknown, right? And then, you know, we're kind of tracking his movies as a family. Go, God, that was a pretty good one, and seeing the accolades <laughs> that he gets for his technique and so on. And then, of course, for us, the big event, whenever there was a Christopher Nolan movie coming, my son would want to go see it and say, there's Russ. He was, he would <laughs> oh, that's Russ. a struggle. That's <laughs> right. so, oh, my gosh. Yeah, he would always be the first guy to identify. <laughs> That was Russ. He's quick. Russ, did filming at your neighbor's house or filming in your neighborhood make you nervous at all? Like you live here, you know, you, you know, it's not like you'd never see these people again if something 
went wrong. No, uh, you know, there wasn't apprehension because we hadn't really, I'd lived here a while. I don't remember any filming, you know, going on on the street. There was maybe something way up at the top a while ago when we first moved in, but it wasn't like, oh, we've had problems here. We got to watch out. It was a new experience to everybody. So people were into it, you know, and plus you got a craft service table out there. Neighbors are coming by. Oh, wow, this is great. What are, uh, with your company, what are some of the other, what are some maybe recognizable names of films or TV shows that you've helped get locations for? Oh, gosh. We've worked on, you know, we work on a lot of TV series. Um, Criminal Minds shot at so many of our homes and they were, you know, they had like 10 seasons or something. I don't know. But they were really, uh, you know, we worked hand in hand with them because their show was set back east. So we could always find them things up here. And they really liked filming in Altadena. Um, You know, mostly I'd say 75 percent of what we do are commercials because that's what's made more than anything else, obviously. So we've had a ton of commercials and yeah, some big films. Um, We just had a really... I mean, it's it hasn't even come out yet. They shot for two months at one of our homes, built a guest house over wow. the built an entire guest house over their swimming pool. I mean, this wow. was amazing. So they filmed for two months, but they were there for three. And you know, they did a really good job. The neighbors were taken care of. So as far as uh, things that are used, yeah, it's really a broad spectrum of things: photo shoots, all kinds of stuff. Have you? had the opportunity to bring more filming to your street i mean i know terry said you know ghost whisperer came here there's some commercials have you had more opportunities to bring and do you like bringing those opportunities to your neighbors um i'll tell you what i the last time we did any filming i remember some people up the street were just kind of upset because there were trucks on the street for a day i don't know um so i realized that you know when people see activity and they're not involved they tend to be a little bit jealous or they want a piece of the action uh, whether it's just being acknowledged somehow so whenever we do have filming in our neighborhood which isn't very often i I, i'm very careful about bringing things to our street in a timely manner you don't want to bang 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 and so i don't do that um but i also always give money to a street party that happens every year just as a way of saying thank you and i also started a nonprofit up here where i collect money from locations uh people that are shooting up here and we give those funds to altadena based charitable groups so that's been kind of a nice deal because you know that way people in the community who aren't making money financially or who aren't making money off the project still might benefit down the road or have somebody benefit how does your experience as a location scout and a location manager also set your company apart. Oh, yeah. Well, as a location scout, um, you know, you'll go to a location service. Well, back in the day when I was doing this for Memento, I was driving with quarters in my pockets and a pager. You know, there was no cell phones or any of that. So it was hardcore knocking on door kind of scouting. Um, But as things progressed, um, you know, and you, you will go to location services and say, hey, I'm looking for blah, 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 blah. And the thing that used to bum me out is that a lot of services would just throw a ton of stuff at you, hoping something would stick. And that kind of gives you, you know, that's a lot of time to go through stuff that isn't what you asked for. And so I decided, you know, when people are, when I'm going to start the service, I'm going to listen. I'm not going to send a hundred things. I'm going to send four things of what they said. And I think scouts just liked that because they knew I got it. They knew that I understood the, the, 
things that you encounter also outside of just the location itself. You know, I would tell them, well, this neighborhood could be difficult for this. So it made a huge, it makes a huge difference to location people to have as much information and to have somebody that's tuned into what they're doing. And that's kind of why I feel like we've done so well. Had things changed in terms of scouting with Christopher Nolan between Memento and The Prestige? I mean, obviously, you know, he did Memento, he did Insomnia, which you didn't do just because no. of, of where it was, lo- it was located in Alaska. I mean, that's yeah. where they shot the movie. Uh, but between Memento and The Prestige, how had things changed when it came to scouting locations? Well, it was a big change because Memento, like you say, was this little small film and everybody was new and, you know, it was kind of guerrilla style, right? Um, but legally. Um, so yep. it was, you know, a lot of hardcore scouting and, you know, talking to Chris. Hey, what do you think of this? Showing pictures to Chris. And then, you know, by the time The Prestige happened, wow, it's a big studio film. I got to talk to him and her and them. And, you know, it really, it puts a distance between you and the, the creative people. Although I was very fortunate. I had a terrific relationship with Nathan Crowley yep. and Chris. Um, and so my ability to talk to them face to face was probably better than most crew members. I mean, the the relationship that we built from Memento, um, I think what happened was Chris really liked the fact that I had a similar eye. You know, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to promote myself, but I really feel like I have a good idea of when someone tells me pretty descriptively what they want, I can visualize it and bring them some things that might work for that. Um, but I don't know that, you know, anything changed in terms of that procedure. Yeah. On the prestige, is there a location that you're particularly proud of bringing to the table? Again, I, I, I do keep saying that I think <laughs> you you all did some amazing things. Not only are we in a different country <laughs> in part of it, but we are, you know, again, turn of the century as well. So uh, is there something that you're proud of in that film location-wise? Absolutely. Um in fact, I recall being at Chris's, I think we were at Chris's home, me and Nathan and Chris were looking at pictures of different things, you know, the inspirational pictures that gets everybody like, oh, this is the tone we're going for. And we were talking about Tesla's lab and there was this discussion, it's got to be something kind of odd and, you know, just different. And I don't remember where it came from, but man, as I was sitting there, I flashed back to like a couple of weeks ago, I had been up to Mount Wilson, I think with my wife and kid to just see it. I don't remember what the deal was, but when I was up there, I remember seeing this big corrugated tin building and it was just like so bizarre standing out there. And I, right after that meeting in the morning, I got in my car and drove up there and took pictures and they loved it. And it was just like, you know, one of those magical things. I see it. I, I'm, I found it. Boom. You know, it was great. Is there a location in Memento that was particularly hard to find? There aren't, like you said, there aren't many, but yeah, was there one that was oh, challenging? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. The, the most challenging one was finding the scene for the finale, which is where it takes place at that great old Fletcher oil refinery. Well, the funny thing is Chris was describing, you know, in a meeting, you know, I want to find something just strange, something that's not where you'd expect it to be, whatever. 
And I said, okay. And remember, I was doing this on my own. I had one assistant, honestly, Howie Sherman. I'm sorry, Howie. I don't know. Did you do anything? <laughs> he went into real estate. That's oh. all I know. <laughs> he gave up on this. Um, but anyway, I just remember driving through the Southland, like, you know, Tustin and these more industrial areas, looking for something kind of funky. And I'm driving along, and I see this abandoned restaurant just out in the middle of this huge dirt field, like nothing around it. Like, how did these people even get to this restaurant? What is this? So I took some pictures and Chris and everybody's like, oh, that's so cool, man. Let's go check it out. So, you know, it's like three days later, we drive down there and as we're pulling up to it, the entire field is filled with trucks <laughs> surrounding this <laughs> restaurant. You can't even see the restaurant. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, I don't, I was so embarrassed. And it's like, what am I going to do? So I tried to get in touch with the people and they're like, no man, we leased this thing. We're staying. <laughs> so I was on back to square one, but you know, it turned out to be a pretty damn good place we found. So. Yeah. And that is in the for refinery. I think it was in Carson. Yeah. 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 I mean, I did some, after you told me about where it was, I did some research or some uh, articles in the Daily Breeze, which is the South Bay newspaper they have there. And I guess there was a big fire and explosion there in 1969 and a couple of people died and uh, like 150 uh, employees and like spectators who just kind of like came out to see what was going on were injured wow. in this thing. And um, I don't know that they ever found the exact reason. I mean, they did say that there was like a a 30,000 gallon tank that had uh, burst for some unknown reason. <laughs> That'll do it. Um, I guess it, and then it continued to operate for a little while. And then there were some um, campaigns from environmentalists that wanted to close the place down, which it did, I think yeah. for a couple of years in the early nineties then it reopened, but then it finally closed in the late nineties, which would of course line up with you guys being there. Yeah. Can you tell me about, seeing that place for the first time and what your impression is. Because it is pretty striking. Yeah. Well, I, and honestly, I don't recall how I found it. And I don't want to not give credit to someone because someone may have said, hey, you should look at. But yeah. honestly, whoever you are, I don't remember. Um, but I remember driving up to it just going, oh, man, this is awesome. You know, just so the graphics of it, the lines, the pipes, the funk, um, and the, like, rundown building – it just spoke, you know, it, it spoke to me. And I was like, this, oh, I love this. Was the search for the discount in challenging? The discount in was just the one brief. Um, no, oh, you mean the main? The, the main one. Oh, you know what, man? That was not challenging. That was one of those things where I'm driving down Sunland Boulevard and I see this place on the right. And I was like, oh, my God, that is awesome because you know the under the way the the driveway went under and just the color and everything i said oh this this is so pretty so fun and again it was one of those finds that was just magical and what i like about it too is that yes there's that sunken driveway uh, but also as you see more of it throughout the film if i recall there's a kind of a courtyard in the middle with some greenery and the building kind of sur surrounds it almost and as you're down in that kind of the little parking lot that's down below a bit there's a lot of uh they're like bars like fence like gates all around the property and it just starts to feel very insulated yeah that place yeah. uh to where you feel like he is kind of trapped in this motel um and as i go through the film that's something that really stuck out with me 
Yeah. No, it was, it had a really good feel to it. And it's funny because, you know, I got that place for nothing, as I recall. Um, but if you were to go there today and say, hey, I'm working on a Christopher Nolan film, <laughs> you're going to be paying some serious money. There's the restaurant where you work at, which I think was in Glendale. Grinders. I, I think, Grinders. Yeah. Um, do you remember anything about getting that place? I just remember they were pretty excited about having yeah. filming there because it was it, just a little coffee shop in Glendale. You know, You know what's interesting is a couple of the locations we've talked about, you, and, and I mean, even here, even at Terry's house, you know, you've, you've talked about how people were pretty positive yeah, about, this ex- yeah. about this experience. As you've gone on through your career, was that the case? Well, I think you have to make it the case uh, as your job to kind of let people know how good this is going to be and how fun it'll be. Um, you know, I mean, as a anybody in the entertainment business, any business, after a while you get kind of jaded and used to people being this way or that. But, you know, for the most part, I think most people are really, they love having filming at their house. Um, it's exciting. Sometimes they meet movie stars, you know, um, whatever. But, uh, yeah, people are generally pretty cool about it unless you treat them poorly but we never did a location i really love because it's also a fairly well-used location it shows up in a quick scene in memento is the olympic coffee shop which is up in silmar um (laughs) where there's a great scene with with guy pierce and joe pantoliano sitting at the counter there and i mean that place is in every which way but lose with clint eastwood i mean it's in over the top with sylvester stallone it's shown up in a bunch of play a bunch of things um yeah i got it from cliche locations.com it was great (laughs) You know, I I just remember that it was something we had to scramble to find. Hmm. It wasn't something... I I just remember there being a lot of, like, last-minute craziness to it. Plus, I think the guys that owned it were... I mean, they were funny. They were were just kind of hyper about the whole thing. But uh, it wasn't anything that really stood out in terms of, oh, let's go to the Olympic coffee. I didn't even know about it at that time. It wasn't something... Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just know just because I study all this stuff that I know it's been in lots... And it continues to be. I mean, it's actually still in a lot of things. And Terry, when... You know, whether in these last 20 years, you know, you're in your house or uh, anything else. Are you ever reminded of the filming of Memento? Well, I actually went stuck back and watched it again, knowing this was going to happen and really enjoyed the second viewing. And it's, yeah, it's always parked there, excuse me, in the back of my mind that a film that 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 broke so much new ground and filmmaking technique was done here. It's an interesting story I have. It happened just the other day as I was going to uh, to the vet with my dog, who can vouch for this if he could only speak. Uh, there's a car come right next to me and it pulls ahead, you know, and it's got the California vanity plate on it and it's got memento on it, gold on black. And now there's no way that could be anything else but an homage to the movie, yeah. if you ask me. I mean, why would you call your car memento, right? Yeah. But yeah, I saw that and I go, wow, that, that really is something. You know, some uh, the movie has legs. We're into the next century and people are still talking about it. I mean, getting back to that same family who all dropped in and he would come down the stairs on Pearl Harbor Day. They sent us a bunch of pictures of the house when they were kids. And there's the tree and there's the 1930s dresses and all the other stuff. And you go, God, what a continuum this all is. And the movie knits all, movies, the industry knits all of that together. The experiences that we've had over the century, the decades, 
Um, it's just really a pleasure to be have any contact at all with the way it's made creatively and so on. So that was a really great experience. I like this idea, too, of people coming back to your house who lived here and the memories that they have. And then, of course, tying that into memento, right? Yeah, and right. the la- lack of memory or, or whatnot. Um, so I think that's interesting, too. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you took, you took it a like, step farther. I kind of like that. Thought, yeah. you know, I mean, people still stop by to look at the house because they know it was in memento. I mean, you know, there's these sites yeah, that right. will tell you specifically, like, parallel longitude, all that, yeah. where these places are. <laughs> Geographic coordinates. <laughs> yeah, GPS. Wow. Have you ever, so have you ever, uh, you've never encountered no, anybody I mean, coming here to look? look? Not, not for that reason, but yeah. we have had four families come by over mm. the years, especially back when we first moved in. They said, yeah, I used to live there. You know, you know that's amazing. So yeah, I think that's great. I mean, look, that's why I love locations. You know, you get to go and experience, like you were talking about with Bodega Bay and all that, and it's great great that memento has those legs that people want to keep visiting those locations really wonderful i think you know thanks again terry for letting us be here today sure really really appreciate it. your house is lovely i it's not i always get to see the craftsmen's from the street and i've never really kind of come back into a backyard of one of them necessarily and to see the beautiful kind of guest house in the garage and well, all of these you're things. you're seeing a pretty darn good example, let it's, me tell you. It's amazing. It's it's really beautiful. Well, so thank you. thank you. Um, and Russ, it's a pleasure to meet you. I know you don't remember us talking seven years ago, but we did, and I'm glad to <laughs> meet you today. Um, Likewise. And uh, can you tell people, again, the name of your business and where people can find it? Oh, Sure. Nothing like a plug. Um, No, it's Home Shoot Home, um, because specifically we work mostly with homes. Um, And it's pretty easy to find, homeshoothome.com. You're going to get us. That's great. And, you know, everybody listening, please make sure to follow us on our social media, all the infos on the website, onlocationpodcast.com. And th- thanks for having oh, us. Of yeah. course. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks so much. Of course. Right, thanks. Uh, of course. Thank you guys again. It's uh, I love coming out and doing this with, with everybody. You know, it's a fun show to do. So uh, thanks so much for listening and joining us on location. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>